Heavenly Father, we want to thank you, Lord, uh, at this uh, at this time especially. I, I I want to thank you, Father, for putting it into the hearts of of the uh, of the folks that came to this land before us to uh, set aside a day, especially just to uh, to rejoice in their blessings and to to focus on uh, on gratitude and of all the uh, of all the holidays uh, Lord Thanksgiving is my personal favorite and Father I pray that uh, that we would have that spirit in our heart every day and that you would teach us tonight Lord and take us through your word here in this passage and and shine the light on it Father and give us good understanding of of your mind and of your process and 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 how you work in the uh, in the magnificence of the things you do and we we pray these things in the name of our Savior and Lord Jesus Christ amen Romans and chapter 9 we got oh first handful of verses last week let's uh, start at the top I say the truth in Christ, I lie not. My conscience also bearing me witness in the Holy Ghost, that I have great heaviness and continual sorrow in my heart. For I could wish that myself were accursed from Christ for my brethren, my kinsmen according to the flesh, who are Israelites, to whom pertaineth the adoption and the glory and the covenants and the giving of the law and the service of God and the promises, whose are the fathers, and of whom, as concerning the flesh, Christ came, who is over all. God blessed forever. Amen. Now, we, uh, we looked at that, uh, at that passage last week, and... Um, and we we see as we come into this portion of scripture that Paul is bringing us now uh, again to a kind of uh, logical next step in the book of Romans, and that is after he talked about all the uh, all the blessings and the the uh, the things that God has given to the body of Christ, uh, irregardless, uh, and that's not a word, but I'll use it anyway. Irregardless of whether you're uh, Jew or Gentile. Um, the question then naturally comes up, well, then what about Israel? So uh, he, we're, we're coming into this, and the, um, the impetus for the, uh, for, for the entry into this subject, I think, is that whole issue of separation that he leaves Romans chapter 8 with and talking about how we cannot be separated. And it seems to me that his Paul's mind then kind of naturally and sorrowfully turns to Israel, who is in fact um, cast off. So, uh, and, and, and he... In his great heaviness and continual sorrow, he says that I could wish that myself were cursed from Christ. So you've got that. Uh, he's got separation on his mind. And he was just talking about it at the end of chapter 8. And he, and he talks about it with joy there and with sorrow here when he talks about Israel. So the uh, and he's and he's kind of bemoaning all the all the privileges and the blessings there are Israelites to whom pertain the adoption and the glory and the, those things that he was just talking about for us the adoption and the glory in chapter eight the covenants and the giving of the law and the service of God and the promises whose are the fathers and of whom as concerning the flesh 
Christ came, who is over all. God blessed forever. Amen. This nation had such a rich uh, heritage and and book of blessings from God, and and it's such a uh, such a shame and a and a sorrow to see that uh, to see that thrown away. Now he says in verse six. Not as though the word of God hath taken none effect, for they are not all Israel which are of Israel. So the next question that comes up in in uh, in, in a thinker's mind is, okay, if Israel, if it doesn't matter now if you're a Jew or or not, what what happened to the promises of God? Didn't God promise those people that they were a special uh, people, that they were an exalted uh, people, that they were the apple of His eye, and not um, like the other nations, not to be counted among the other nations? Didn't God say that? So what happened to all of that? So Paul says, it's not as though the Word of God hath taken none effect. Why? For they are not all Israel which are of Israel. Now he's, he's told us this already. If you turn back to um, the end of, uh, of chapter 2, Romans chapter 2, this is not a new point that he's making in the in the book of Romans, uh, but it is he's kind of pulling it back again and and using it as a lead in to this uh, <clears throat> to this Israelology that he's about to teach this course in national Israel that he's about to take us through. In chapter two, he said um, verse. 25, for circumcision verily profiteth if thou keep the law. But if thou be a breaker of the law, thy circumcision is made uncircumcision. Therefore, if the uncircumcision keep the righteousness of the law, shall not his uncircumcision be counted for circumcision? And shall not the uncircumcision, which is by nature, if it fulfill the law, judge thee? who by the letter and circumcision does transgress the law? For he is not a Jew which is one outwardly, neither is that circumcision which is outward in the flesh. But he is a Jew which is one inwardly, and circumcision is that of the heart, in the spirit and not in the letter, whose praise is not of men, but of God. So in chapter 9 there, when he says they are not all Israel that are of Israel, this is what he's talking about. The idea that you come physically from uh, Abraham doesn't make you uh, a true Israelite, or a, uh, let's put it this way, a spiritual Israelite. Now, Understand that when Paul talks about spiritual Israel in in this context, he's talking about exactly that. He's not talking about the body of Christ. He's not talking about you and me. He's talking about spiritual Israel. They are not all Israel that are of Israel. Turn over to chapter 11. And we'll get this passage when we get there, but let's jump ahead for just a, just a second and get a verse here. 
<clears throat> people who have a problem with the idea that God's not through with Israel, people who say God has cast off Israel and He's never dealing with them again and they're accursed people and so forth, um, when you say to them, no, Israel, all Israel is going to be saved, and you quote them Romans uh, in chapter 11, verse 26, and so all Israel shall be saved, as it is written, there shall come out of Zion the deliverer and shall turn away ungodliness from Jacob. So all Israel is going to be saved. And they say, well, how can that be? How is all Israel going to be saved when the whole, uh, all Israel is in apostasy? And are you saying that every single Jew is going to be converted? No. Remember, who is all Israel? They are not all Israel that are of Israel. And that's what Paul is saying in chapter 9. In, in chapter 11, he says all Israel is going to be saved. And sure enough, all Israel will be saved. But remember, they are not all Israel who are of Israel. So, he says it's not as though the word of God hath taken none effect. Get, come back with me. Get two passages. Get John chapter 8. Because you want to see, and Paul's going to show you in a minute, that this is not new. This is not a new revelation. This is something that uh, the nation of Israel uh, generally missed. But that doesn't mean that it was hid. It just means that they didn't see it. They chose not to. Paul's going to take us all the way back to Genesis and show us how that it was never a matter of just the being a physical uh, child of Abraham. But so so this is not it's not part of the mystery that he's talking about here that they are not all Israel that are of Israel. It's it, it's it's long and and well known and established. John chapter eight. Um, the Lord says, uh, talking to these um, to these Pharisees here, he says, uh, verse. I'll tell you what, thirty one. Then said Jesus, John eight thirty one. To those Jews which believed on him, if you continue in my word, then are you my disciples indeed. And you shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. And they answered him, We be Abraham's seed, and were never in bondage to any man. How sayest thou, ye shall be made free? And Jesus answered them, now he's talking to uh, believers, and then the crowd kind of answers him. He gets, he gets comments from the peanut gallery. And Jesus answered them, Verily, verily, I say unto you, whosoever committeth sin is the servant of sin. And the servant abideth not in the house forever, but the son abideth ever. If the son therefore shall make you free, you shall be free indeed. And I, I know that you are Abraham's seed. Now you want to get this. What does the Lord say here? I know that you are Abraham's seed. Okay? But you seek to kill me, because my word hath no place in you. Now this is obviously, he's not talking to those believers, he's talking to people in the, in the crowd who are shouting out, Hey, we're Abraham's children. I speak that which I have seen with my father, and you do that which you have seen with your father. And they answered and said unto him, Abraham is our father. Jesus saith unto them, If you were Abraham's children you would do the works of Abraham. But now you seek to kill me, a man that hath told you the truth, which I have heard from God. This did not Abraham. You do the deeds of your father. 
Then said they to him, We be not born of fornication, we have one Father, even God. And Jesus said unto them, If God were your Father, you would love me. For I proceeded forth and came from God. Neither came I of myself, but he sent me. Why do you not understand my speech, even because you cannot hear my word? Ye are of your father, the devil, and the lusts of your father you will do. He was a murderer from the beginning, and abode not in the truth, because there is no truth in him. When he speaketh a lie, he speaketh of his own, for he is a liar and the father of it. And because I tell you the truth, you believe me not. So, on the one hand, the Lord acknowledges, He says, I know you are Abraham's seed. Now listen, people, I'm, 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 I'm pressing that point because this becomes an issue in this they are not all Israel that are of Israel thing. People get confused about the seed of Abraham. They'll take you over to Galatians and they'll say, see, the seed was Christ. And therefore, the children of Abraham are of no consequence. They're not really the seed. Well, the fact of the matter is that both of those things are, are, are accurate, that they are the seed and Christ is the seed. It depends on the context. Here, Jesus says, I know you are Abraham's seed. Turns around in the next breath and says, if you were Abraham's children, you wouldn't do the things that you're doing. So you're Abraham's seed on the one hand. On the other hand, you're not. Come over to Matthew chapter 3. physical seed of Abraham has been uh, claiming the blessings of God since uh, Abraham and God has been making it clear since Abraham that it's not about the physical seed Matthew chapter 3 John the Baptist comes on the scene and he's baptizing and all uh, kind of people verse 5 then went out to him Jerusalem and all Judea and all the region round about Jordan and were baptized of him in Jordan, confessing their sins. But when he saw many of the Pharisees and Sadducees come to his baptism, he said unto them, O generation of vipers, who hath warned you to flee from the wrath to come? Bring forth therefore fruits, meet for repentance, and think not to say within yourselves, We have Abraham to our father. For I say unto you that God is able of these stones to raise up children unto Abraham. So don't get the idea, Israel, that, uh, that just because you're uh, children of Abraham, that you've got a lock on the blessing of God. Because God can fulfill His Word with these stones. Now, you know, it's interesting. You go over, you know, take a, take a look at that. Get First Peter chapter two real quick, just as as an aside in connection with with John's statement here in Matthew three. First Peter chapter two. People people look at that passage and they say, "See, John the Baptist there is talking about the Gentiles. You and me, we're, uh, the the Jews didn't didn't get it." 
So he made children of Abraham out of us. And we were the stones that, uh, that John was talking about. Well, look here and let, let Peter tell you who, who John's talking about. First uh, Peter chapter 2, um, we won't read the whole passage. Jump in in verse 4. To whom coming to Christ, as unto a living stone, disallowed indeed of men, but chosen of God and precious, ye also as lively stones are built up a spiritual house and holy priesthood to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God by Jesus Christ. He goes on in the passage, uh, verse 10, and tells him in time past you were not a people and now you are a people. Those are the, when John's standing there with all of Jerusalem and all of Judea around about him, these believers coming to be baptized, and then he says to those Pharisees, God is able of these stones to raise up children. That's who he's talking about. He's not talking about the rocks. Those stones come up again in, in a couple verses later in Matthew chapter 4 when Satan tries to get Christ to turn them into, into munchies for himself, like all the other shepherds of Israel did feeding on the flock and so forth. Anyway, the uh, the idea there is that the physical seed of Abraham is not uh, is not the issue that God can fulfill his word in any way he sees fit. And God is able uh, of the stones to raise up children unto Abraham. Now back in, in Romans chapter 9. So that I'm, I'm taking you to those passages to show you that this is not new. This is not part of the mystery. This is not part of Paul's revelation. This is something that has been uh, clear from the beginning. And uh, now let Paul tell you, and I'll and I'll shut up and just read Romans chapter nine. Verse 6, Not as though the word of God hath taken none effect, for they are not all Israel which are of Israel, neither because they are the seed of Abraham are they all children. You see that? You remember what the Lord said in, in John 8? I know you are Abraham's seed, but you're not his children. If you were his children, you would do... now. There's a distinction to be made there, but don't go nuts with it because sometimes those terms are interchangeable. But it's interesting to me that the Lord makes the same distinction in John 8 as Paul does here. That just because you're a seed doesn't mean you're a child. Neither because they are the seed of Abraham are they all children, but in Isaac shall thy seed be called. That is, they which are the children of the flesh, these are not the children of God, but the children of the promise are counted for the seed. Now, in um, let's go back there and let's take a look and let's get that, because Paul quotes a very small part of this passage in Genesis chapter 21. In Isaac shall thy seed be called. And that's the, uh, the germane passage part of the uh, of the passage there that Paul's trying to get to but the um, the issue here when the Lord says in Isaac shall thy seed be called <clears throat> the issue is in in, in uh, a contest between two children of Abraham between uh, two sons of Abraham and were they both going to be 
was one going to be over the other? Or would it be the other? There was a, uh, 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 a clash here. Genesis chapter 21. Um, Isaac uh, uh, begins to grow up. Verse 8. The child grew and was weaned, and Abraham made a great feast. The same day Isaac was weaned. And Sarah saw the son uh, of Hagar, the Egyptian, Ishmael, which she had borne unto Abraham, mocking. So they're having the party. Uh, the the um, I don't think it's a bar mitzvah. I don't think you... I think you bar mitzvah when you're 13 or 14. I don't think you wait that long to be weaned, but it's a, but it's a party in, in, in any regard. Um, and so all the attention's on Isaac, and here's Ishmael, the older one, off in the corner, uh, making faces and you know doing this, mocking, uh, you know, like big brothers all do. But but obviously there was some some animosity behind that. Sarah saw the son of Hagar, the Egyptian, which he bore unto Abraham, mocking. Wherefore she said unto Abraham, Cast out this bondwoman and her son. For the son of this bondwoman shall not be heir with my son, even with Isaac. Now you remember the situation with Sarah and Abraham and, and uh, Hagar. And, and uh, Sarah was waiting to have a child and, and she wasn't and she wasn't and she wasn't and finally she got impatient and she said to her husband take my handmaid and have a child with her and he did and it, uh, she, she went on to regret that suggestion but this is the child so they're both sons of Abraham from different mothers so she says cast out this bondwoman and her son for the son of this bondwoman shall not be heir with my son even with Isaac and the thing was very grievous in Abraham's sight because of his son, Ishmael. And God said unto Abraham, Let it not be grievous in thy sight because of the lad and because of thy bondwoman. You know, so apparently Abraham had some feelings for, uh, for the kid's mom there too. In all that Sarah hath said unto thee, hearken unto her voice, for in Isaac shall thy seed be called. So the Lord... Uh, bears witness to Sarah's words, and in fact, Paul quotes this passage, quotes Sarah in Galatians, and says, the Scripture says, cast out the bondwoman and her son. Those were Sarah's words. But God uh, verifies them and says, what she just said to you, that's right. She's right. That's what you do. And that becomes... Uh, God's instruction to Abraham. So you've got the two sons of Abraham, two, the seed uh, that God said, and, and you, all nations will be blessed, and you and in your seed. And God makes a distinction between the two. And he says, you take the one and you cast him out. And the other is going to be the, the is the chosen, is the chosen seed. Now, um, he goes on, and I want you to see this too. Read on. And also, the son of the bondwoman will I make a nation, because he is thy seed. And Abraham rose up early, and we won't read the whole passage, but you go down through there, and you see God's providential blessing on uh, Ishmael. And the, uh, the things that God... So God doesn't throw him out into the trash, because he's the seed of Abraham. But... He is not the spiritual conduit that, uh, that God had predetermined would come from this man. 
So, so you see the, uh, you get the idea there. Now, Paul attributes that back in Romans chapter 9. You say, why is that? Is God just arbitrary? Does he, does he roll dice? Does he flip a coin? How, how is it that God can choose between one and the other that way? Well, it is not arbitrary. Paul, in this particular case, attributes it to the issue of promise versus the, the flesh and faith versus, uh, versus flesh and, and works. Um, verse uh, 7 again, Romans 9, verse 7, Neither because they are the seed of Abraham are they all children, but in Isaac shall thy seed be called. That is, explanation, they which are the children of the flesh, these are not the children of God, but the children of promise are counted for the seed. For this is the word of promise, at this time will I come, and Sarah shall have a son. So that was the promise. And if you remember way back in Genesis 15, it was that promise of a seed that Abraham believed and it was counted to him for righteousness. Now this one that Paul quotes is a later extension of that promise, but it's the same essential thing. You're going to have some kids and you're going to be a great nation and your children are going to be like the stars of the heavens for multitude and so forth. So... The, what, the, the distinction that Paul is making here, the same one that he makes in uh, Galatians when he brings out that whole account and kind of fleshes out the allegory there, is that you have the fleshly seed and then you have the seed of faith. And it's the seed of faith that gets preferential treatment. Um, now, that's on the one hand. So there is the issue of faith and and promise versus flesh on the one hand. But that's not the only issue. There is also an issue of the the declarative and determinative will of God. God's sovereignty. And His right to choose what direction His will is going to go. And God claims that right to Himself, and Paul is going to take us through that in the next several verses, without apology. And God claims that right to Himself without, uh, without any necessity on His part to answer for the decisions that He makes, to answer to His creation. He has no compulsion. Uh, he, he sees no... Uh, uh, no urgency and no necessity in explaining his choices to his creatures. God does what he does according to the good pleasure of his own will. And we see that as we go on. Verse 10, And not only this, so you've got the promise versus the flesh issue, but not only this, but when Rebekah also had conceived by one, even by our father Isaac, For the children being not yet born, neither having done any good or evil, that the purpose of God according to election might stand, not of works, but of him that calleth, it was said unto her, The elder shall serve the younger. As it is written, Jacob have I loved, but Esau have I hated. So now you've got an issue here where 
it's not a matter of, well, Abraham had an illegitimate son by an illegitimate wife, and then he had his real wife, and then they had the real son, so it was obvious God was going to pick the real son over the illegitimate one, and all of that. Well, then, there's that. But Paul says not only that, not only the promise versus flesh, the faith versus flesh issue, but you carry that seed along, and you take uh, you take um, Isaac a little further into his life, and you see him get married, and you see his wife is with child. Now it's not two wives; it's not although he did uh, uh, have them. It's it's a uh, it's a legitimate situation, and it's the two children that come here in this uh, portion of scripture are twins. So they're both. Uh, they're both being being born at the same time. Now there's a firstborn and a secondborn, but but nonetheless, these are both legitimate children. That's the point. And uh, Paul goes further there again in verse 11. And he says, "The children being not yet born, neither having done any good or evil, that the purpose of God according to election might stand, not of works, but of Him that calleth." It was said unto her, "The elder shall serve the younger." So there's a determination made there. Now, now come back with me and let's take a look at that. Genesis chapter 25. There is a predeterminate issue there. Now, we've already looked at the issue of predestination back in chapter 8. Romans chapter 8. And this, as we continue into Romans chapter 9, the... Uh, the, the issues concerning election and predestination do not change. When, when, when God talks about uh, election and predestination in the, in the affairs of men and with individual uh, uh, human beings and with nations, He's talking about position. Understand now, there is nothing there in Romans chapter 9 that says anything about anybody being predestinated to salvation or not. And the children being not yet born, neither having done any good or evil, God said, you're going to heaven and you're going to hell. Well, there's nothing like that in that passage. And, I, and I'm pressing that point because people say that there is. And you just read the verse, uh, and you see that there's not. So it's not a hard, it's not a hard uh, problem to overcome. What was it? What was said before the children were born? Genesis chapter 25. Let's see it here. Paul quoted it for us. Genesis chapter uh, 25. Rebecca is uh, is barren, and her uh, uh, Isaac prays for her. Verse 21, Isaac entreated the Lord, uh, Genesis 25:21, entreated the Lord for his wife because she was barren, and the Lord was entreated of him, and Rebekah his wife conceived. And the children struggled together within her. And she said, If it be so, why am I thus? And she went to inquire of the Lord. What she's saying there is, if this is an answer to prayer... Why, what a horrible answer to prayer. You ever, you ever have that happen to you? 
If this is if this is this is not what I really, what I prayed for, it is, but it's not going the way I wanted it to go. If it be so, if this is the will of God, if this was due to the entreatment of my husband and his prayer to God, and God is interceding, and this is a blessed uh, conception, and and all, then why she's having a hard pregnancy? The children struggled within her. She said, If it be so, so, why am I thus? And she went to inquire of the Lord. And the Lord said unto her, Two nations are in thy womb, and two manner of people shall be separated from thy bowels. The one people shall be stronger than the other people, and the elder shall serve the younger. Now, several things in that verse... But let me point out to you again something that is obviously and clearly not in that verse. Nothing in that verse says anything about where these two boys are going to end up in eternity. The verse is, number one, talking about not the two individual persons to begin with, but what? What does he say? Two babies, two boys, two men are in thy womb? No. Two nations are in thy womb. And the issue in there in, in Romans chapter 9, when Paul talks about the sovereignty of God and choosing one or the other, he's talking about uh, God's working with the nations uh, of, of people and, and raising up nations and bringing down nations and chooses one nation to be his special and leaves the others out and so forth. All of that is the working of the sovereign will of God. None of it has anything to do with uh, with predestinating people to heaven or hell. Uh, two nations are in thy womb. Two manner of people shall be separated from thy bowels. The one people shall be stronger than the other. Here's what's predetermined. What is predestined? Two things. The one people shall be stronger than the other, and the elder shall serve the younger. That's what's predestined. That the younger has a higher what? Position than the other. Predestination and election, just like it was back in chapter 8, is all about position. It's about who God chooses to exalt and who He chooses not to exalt. And that is according to His own sovereign uh, determinate counsel and will. Now come with me on your way back to uh, Malachi chapter 1. So here we are in Genesis, way in the beginning of your Bible. Now as you turn to of your Old Testament, now as you turn way over to the end of your Old Testament, much, much later, we get to the second quote that Paul gives us in Romans chapter 9. Jacob have I loved... But Esau have I hated. And let's take a look at that. Because there again, you don't want to get the idea that before these two children, these two human beings were born, having done no good or evil, that God loved one of them and hated the other one. Arbitrarily. Uh, because he felt like it. The, the issue there, as it was with the first verse, is nations. The nations that come from these people, is that out there? Um, 
and the position that they hold. Malachi chapter 1. The burden of the word of the Lord to Israel by Malachi. I have loved you, saith the Lord. Yet ye say, Wherein hast thou loved us? Was not Esau Jacob's brother, saith the Lord? Yet I loved Jacob, and I hated Esau, and laid his mountains and his heritage waste for the dragons of the wilderness. When Edom saith, now Edom is the nation that comes from Esau. Edom was the name that Esau earned for himself when he sold his birthright for the, for the red uh, pottage. Edom means red. And that's where that name comes from. He sold his birthright for the, for the lentils, and from that time forth he was called Edom. So the land of Edom and the nation of Edom is the nation of people that comes from Esau. Um, Edom saith, We are impoverished, but we will return and build the desolate places, saith the Lord. Thus saith the Lord of hosts, They shall build, but I will throw down. And uh, they shall call them the border of wickedness, and the people against whom the Lord hath indignation forever. And your eyes shall see, and you shall say, The Lord will be magnified from the border of Israel. So here again, in the uh, issue, what Paul does is he takes two statements of God. One from the very beginning and before the beginning with these two boys, before they were ever born. And one long, long after when they have become nations of people. And there are these two tremendous uh, statements of the, of the sovereignty of God. That one nation was going to be stronger than the other and serve the other. One was going to be higher. One was going to have an exalted position. And it was going to be the younger, not the firstborn. And the firstborn was going to be brought low. And Paul proves the faithfulness of that uh, determinate counsel by generations later showing that in fact, as it turned out, God loves the people of Jacob and hates the people of Esau. Now, come with me, get two passages. Get Luke chapter 14 and Matthew chapter 10. And I want to show you something about this issue of, uh, of God hating people. You say, okay, so it's not individuals, it's nations. Well, that's worse. That means God loved a whole nation of people and He hated a whole other nation of people. It would be better if He had just picked one and one. But again, remember, it's position. What we are talking about is position. We are not talking about God's animosity toward people. We are not talking about God sitting up in heaven going, oh, I hate those people. This is what we're talking about. Luke, Luke 14. Um, Luke 14. Yeah, let's get that first. Luke 14 and um, verse 26. We all know this verse, and it's a verse that causes people problems. If any man come to me, Jesus says, and hate not his father, 
and his mother, and his wife, and his children, and brethren, and sisters, yea, his own life also, he cannot be my disciple. So how's that? If you're going to be a disciple of Christ, you better hate your father, and hate your mother, and hate your brethren. What's he talking about there? Yeah, why? What's that all about? Well, come back to, to, to Matthew chapter 10. And, and, and you need to see something about this, about this language and this issue. You remember we talked about uh, the word despise? We use, we use despise and hate uh, kind of synonymously in modern uh, English. And the fact is that despise and hate are synonyms in Old English. But they don't mean the same thing that they do today. Hate means the same thing as despise. It means to uh, to look lesser upon, to look low upon, to uh, to diminish, to think less of. Hate in in these contexts is a comparative word. Look in Matthew chapter ten. I'll get there in a minute. Matthew chapter 10, and um, verse 37. Parallel passage. He that loveth father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. And he that loveth son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. And he that taketh not his cross and followeth after me is not worthy of me. He that findeth his life shall lose it. He that loseth his life shall, for my sake shall find it. Now that is the exact same thing as what he said in Luke 14. If you don't hate your father, what do you mean, Lord? Well, if you love your father more than me, it's a comparative. If you don't hate your mother, well, what does that mean? That means if you love your mother more than you do me, you're not worthy of me. It's a comparative thing. Come, come back to the passage we were just in, in Genesis chapter 25 and, uh, and, and see it again. God loved Israel and hated the Gentiles. Now, you need to take that in, uh, in the context of the, of, of the way that the Bible uses these terms. Genesis um, chapter 25. And um, I've gotta, I got to find it here. Oh, you know what? It's not going to be Isaac. It's going to be Jacob. Come over to 29. That's the passage I'm thinking of. Genesis 29. Jacob uh, serves seven years for Rachel, and he gets Leah, you remember, the older sister. So he serves another seven years, and and, and finally gets Rachel. And... Um, Jacob did so in verse uh, 20, 28. 
Verse 29, And Laban gave to Rachel her daughter Bilhah, his handmaid, to be her maid. And he went in also unto Rachel. And uh, he, Jacob, loved also Rachel more than Leah and served with him yet seven other years. So you see the comparative there. Jacob loved uh, Rachel more than Leah. And how does God say it? Verse 31, And when the Lord saw that Leah was hated, he opened her womb, but Rachel was barren. Now, did Jacob hate Leah? Well, yeah, God says he did. And what does he mean when he says that? He means that he loved Rachel more. And because he held Rachel up to a higher position, he consequently hated Leah by having her at a lower position. Okay? So the, when it's the exact same idea with God toward Jacob and Esau. Jacob have I loved, Esau have I hated. Jacob have I exalted, Esau have I brought low. That's the idea there. And you're and and back in uh, Romans nine, we'll close it up. What we are talking about here is we are talking about the uh, the awesome sovereignty of God in His working with the with the nations and peoples of the earth and how He moves and Paul's going to go on and talk more about that in, in the context of Pharaoh and God hardening his heart and so forth and we'll get into that two weeks from now. Uh, but the um, the tremendous uh, uh, expression and outworking of the sovereign will of God and how that all the nations of the earth are as a drop of a bucket in his sight and he turns the king's heart whithersoever uh, he will and all of those things are involved here. And the sovereignty of God is a, is a magnificent thing to behold when you understand it. And when you don't get uh, uh, tripped up in, in the in the stumbling blocks in the darkness of uh, of some wrong views of of God's sovereign uh, will. So, before the children were born, in verse eleven, the children being not yet born, neither having done any good or evil, that the purpose of God according to election might stand, not of works, but of Him that calleth. You see, Israel was not the chosen people of God because they were the best or the, or the most holy. And he, t- he tells them that in, in various places. I didn't choose you because you were the biggest nation. I didn't choose you because you were the best. I chose you because I chose you. Jesus looked at those 12 guys around him and he says, I chose every one of you guys. You didn't choose me. I chose you. And one of you is a devil. See, God has his, uh, that absolute right to exercise His sovereign will. Again, He's not choosing people to eternal damnation and eternal salvation. He's choosing them to positions. This is where you go. 
This is where you go. You're up here. You're down here. Why, Lord? Because that's where I need you to be and that's where I want you to be and that's where I'm putting you. So you say, yes, Lord. Thank you, Lord, for putting me down here. And you praise God for it. And what happens? Those that abase themselves, God will exalt. The idea is to be obedient and to be reverent and to be submissive to our God no matter what His sovereign will uh, uh, decrees or where it puts us. Then you turn out okay. You see that over and over again in Scripture. God puts someone down and the person responds properly and God lifts him back up. You saw it in Christ. So the issue is the election of God. And God uh, chooses who He will to put where He wants to put Him. And we will call it there in uh, verse 15. We'll pick it up next time and talk about Moses and Pharaoh and the sovereignty of God in that whole situation. And how is it that God hardened Pharaoh's heart and gets away with it and still gets to be God? We're, uh, we're done.